Hey, what's up? I'm Lauren Riot. I'm here with my co-host, the beautiful Persephone Dark, my daughter, and uh, a musician. Keep going. Um, I'm smart. <laughs> smart, funny, cute, really witty, great social media <laughs> presence, Thank excellent you. at doing makeup, cool name. You would think so. I gave it to you, yeah. I like it. So, how are you doing today? Tired. What's make? What's got you down? Government class? Yes. Well, no, the inauguration, but yes. The inauguration <laughs> and government class. Yes. You didn't have it today, though, huh? Mm-mm. That's good. This would have I been a bad a, day to have it. I had an 8.30 class. It's too early in the morning. Mm-mm. Exactly. For a youngster. <laughs> Your brother set me up at 6. So today we're talking about, I didn't even announce what the podcast is. This is always Carrie Broomstick. What's up, witches? <laughs> <laughs> Today we're talking about Leonardo Cianciulli, an Italian witch and serial killer who recently took Eileen Warnos' place in my heart as my favorite serial killer. (laughs) And I want to talk about her life, her crimes, and her witchcraft. And we'll get into it. You ready? Sounds good. Leonardo Cianciulli, she's Italian. She was born in the south of Italy in 1893. Yeah, it's beautiful there. I've always wanted to go to southern Italy. You have to talk a little louder. I've always wanted to go to Southern Italy. (laughs) Her mother, Emilia Dinolfi, was also born in Montello Avellino, which is a little bit east of Napoli, or as most people know it, Naples, which is on the west. Where love is king. Yes, where love is king. On the mm. on the west coast of the like toe of the boot. I am familiar. Or by the toe. Amelia was young and pretty and upper class and she had a ton of marriage prospects. She had her whole life in front of her and she was this happy-go-lucky girl. She was really innocent. She was raised Catholic. She didn't know anything about anything. And there was this guy in town, Mariano Cianciulli, who was obsessed with her. And he, he was poor. His family was kind of shady. I'm going to go ahead and guess there was some abuse going on there. And he was obsessed with Amelia and he really hated how proper she was and he wanted to take her down a peg. And so as she was walking home one night, you want to guess how he did it? Men. Yeah. As she was walking home one night, he grabbed her and took her out into a field and he raped her. And she was so innocent that she actually didn't know what he was going to do. She didn't know why he was pulling up her skirts and things Mm. like that. She didn't, she went home, she didn't tell her parents. She didn't say anything she knew that she should be ashamed of what happened although obviously she shouldn't but she knew in her culture that she should be ashamed but she still didn't really understand what had happened and she definitely didn't know that she could get pregnant by it yeah so her family started to notice that she was really dejected and their happy-go-lucky girl had become really withdrawn and they also noticed that her belly was getting bigger Mm. and they confronted her about being a whore basically they confronted her about how she had sinned and done wrong and she wouldn't tell them anything at first and they started banging on the doors of the men who had been courting her before this demanding to know who had soiled their daughter's uh innocence and purity and so of course word spread around town that she was a fallen woman 
And she finally, she didn't want that. So she finally confessed what had happened. Now, even though her parents knew that he had raped her, their first reaction was to force her to marry him. Oh. Right. Makes sense. Right. Okay. She was also, at this point, unwed, pregnant, had completely fallen out of society. Her How parents. How old? How old was she? She was young. She was like, I think, ni- close to 19. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't ready at this point in the culture. She wasn't ready to marry yet. She was looking at marriage prospects, but over the course of several years, expecting to over the course of several years, right. pick a suitable husband. You want to take a guess what kind of a husband Mariano was? No, I'm great. What an upstanding guy. Yeah, he was a really great <laughs> husband. He loved her. He took care of her. He loved their baby. He provided for them. And that's really the end of the story. No, I'm just kidding. He was terrible. (laughs) Okay. First thing he did after they got married was he started raping her. And he beat her. And he was awful to her. And he would go off on these drinking binges where he'd gamble away what little money they had. She kills him, right? They li- no, they oh. live. They live in a really rundown spot, and she is no longer in contact with anyone from her family. They've they've completely cut her off in shame and any of her friends or social contacts. So she's completely isolated and doesn't even know what giving birth to a baby is like or anything like that. I'm gonna guess she probably doesn't even know where the baby comes out. Or belly anything. button, belly button. So. She ends up going into labor, and she's in labor for quite a while before she has to go out and find somebody to help her get a midwife. Right. So she's, like, out on the streets in labor by herself until someone takes it upon themselves to help her, this fallen woman. So you can imagine probably people just looked at her and turned away. She has a baby, and she loves her, and she takes good care of her, and that's the end of this. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. She has her daughter and never bonds with her. She doesn't like her. She's mm. a product of rape. She's the product not only of rape, but just yeah. the absolute, absolute ruination of Amelia's life. She takes it out on her. She beats her from a really early age. Yeah. Uh, she's really neglected. She's Maybe. underfed. She's constantly punished. She's constantly beaten. Meanwhile, Marciano's still going off on his drinking binges and disappearing for days at a time, not bringing home money to keep up the house. Finally, he's been gone for three days and she goes out looking for him. Amelia does Mm. with her little Leonardo in tow. She finds him at some of his buddy's house and he's been, he's had a fever and he's been in bed for a couple of days. Oh, it turns out what I was expecting. I was expecting him to just be like off drinking with his friends this entire time or find a new family Uh, or something. Yeah. No, he's dying. Oh, good. So, yeah. So he's in bed with a fever, and these guys help her bring him back to this awful little apartment that they live in. And he dies there. She she cares for him, sort of, as he dies. It doesn't take, I don't think it took him very long, maybe a couple of weeks to die. A doctor did diagnose that there was no recovery in sight mm-hmm. for him. When he dies, she turns to Leonardo and is like, we're finally free. Mm-hmm. Which is only half true because she's free and her daughter right. is definitely not. right. She's got to find a new man. She's got to get some income. And she goes out courting. She thinks, well, first she goes back to her parents' house. And she's Mm. like, my husband died. I have this baby. I did what you wanted. I got married. You need to take care of us. And her parents are like, girl, you're a slut. Get out. Yeah, they won't take her in. They won't help her at all. They won't give her any money or anything. A plus parenting. Mm -hmm. And she had grown up with servants, so she didn't even know how to cook or clean. Oh, was she like middle class she was upper middle class wealthy yeah she wasn't rich she wasn't totally aristocracy but she was well connected yeah and she'd grown up with servants one of the things her husband had beat her for was how well she 
or how not well mm. she cooked and cleaned, Clean. but yep. she had never done it. She just had to make it up on the fly. So she's got to find a new man. And she goes out courting thinking, I'm still pretty. I'm still young. I'm still, I, I'm still come from this good family. I'll find a man and nobody will touch her. Nobody worth anything will even give her a second glance. She's completely fallen from grace. So she starts, she's going out and she's drinking and she's partying and she's trying to find a man. Mm-hmm. And she realizes that the only men that will talk to her are kind of scummy, criminal element kind of guys. So she ends up finding a guy who's good enough. He mm-hmm. has more money than the last husband. He does really love her. He is very pleased with his pretty new wife when they get married. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care at all about Leonardo. He's, as far as I know, there's no, she didn't say in any of her court records or in her autobiography slash grimoire that she wrote about him abusing her. She was just neglected. And then her mom did beat the shit out of her all the time. Right. And also just go on tirades and scream at her and tell her how worthless she was. She's miserable. Her mom hates her more than ever because she's a reminder of her past life. She could move on, but she can't. She has this kid in tow. Yeah. Leonardo attempts suicide twice. Once at age 11, she tries to hang herself. Baby. With uh, about age 11. She tries to hang herself with bed sheets. And she succeeds up until she's about to die. Her larynx was fully crushed and she couldn't speak for over a week after it happened. And even though she obviously had been strangled in some way, her mom never even asked her about it. So at the last minute, the sheet broke. And she fell to the floor. She tried again at age 13. No details on how. Probably. Judging by the way that she works in patterns, I'd say probably the same way. Middle school's rough for everyone. Middle school is <laughs> so rough. That's what, 7th, 6th, and 7th yes, grade? 11 to 13. Yeah. 14, yeah. That's a tough, tough time. Definitely. Especially if you're being abused <laughs> constantly. You don't know that from experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> say it say it into the microphone <laughs> i don't know that from experience <laughs> uh, no, no, no. <laughs> all right get off the podcast <laughs> as a teen i only have enough trauma to make me funny good mm-hmm. that's right just nailed it <laughs> as a teen amelia realized leonardo was getting pretty that she was so connected to this Family, you know, Amelia's mm-hmm. family. And she wasn't a fallen whore. And she wasn't a fallen whore. Right. And she thought, I've got to work on her marriage pr- prospects because they can help me. Mm. They can help elevate my status and provide income for me. Right. There's no word about a dowry, but she would have needed it. Amelia had a sizable dowry. What is a dowry? A dowry <laughs> is money that the bride's family gives to the groom or the groom and his family when they marry oh. off their daughter because women are considered dependents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a cow. Yeah, women are considered <laughs> dependents or traditionally have been considered a dependent and so it's like a nest egg. Thank you for taking our mm-hmm. ball and chain. I'm with all your best cows and, and five sheep. <laughs> a lot of dowries are left, have, yeah. are historic still now. Uh, and, and historic now. Are, yeah, there's still dowries in the world. There's rural Thailand still has dowries. It was on 90 Day Fiance. I saw it. Meanwhile, Leonardo is like, I want to get out of this situation. I hate it. I hate my life. I hate my mom. I've got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And Amelia doesn't say anything to her about looking for marriage prospects. Nothing. She hates her. She has such disdain for her that the only time she pretty much talks to her is to verbally abuse her. So she doesn't tell her anything. Meanwhile, Amelia is using this, seizing this moment 
to get in touch with all the good families that she possibly can, they start entertaining her because they're looking at the marriage prospect with her daughter, but her daughter's not coming. So she gets to go out, she gets to eat, she gets to drink, she gets to socialize with the more upstanding citizens of the town. Mm -hmm. And she's like, this is great, I could do this forever. She doesn't say anything to Leonardo. She just keeps going out and doing it and being entertained and having this nice time. And Leonardo, meanwhile, is just getting more and more desperate. This goes on for actually for years. And as those years go on, Leonardo's list of... Leonardo's... (laughs) fucking dog. Leonardo's list of potential suitors keeps growing as she gets older and closer to a marriageable age. But she has no idea... So at age 23, she goes out on her own and was like, fuck this. I'm getting married. I'm getting out of here. This is my mm-hmm. ticket out. And what she really wanted was to find a man who was stable, who would have a stable income, who had a stable temperament after right. all of the volatility of her childhood. She wanted something really practical. Makes sense. She met Raffaele Ponsardi, mm-hmm. Ponsardi and he fell in love with her. It was a it was a love marriage. He really loved his wife, and he was really nice to her. He was really patient with her and tender. And he had steady work. He had a low-paying government clerical job, and it wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough to keep them. She stable, like, right? Like maybe a shoestring budget, but hopefully not uh, an existence of desperation. Right. When she told her mom, her mom was like, "Hell no, you're not going to marry this loser." But didn't say, you can marry someone I consider to be better, or I'm looking at other marriage prospects, or hold your horses, test out the dating pool. She's just like, fuck no, you're not going to marry this guy. And Leonardo is like, you just want to make me miserable. So she cuts and goes and gets married to him anyway. And so a couple weeks later, they get married in a little ceremony. His friends and family are there. It's very sweet. She goes back to get her things from her mother's house. She only has a few. She goes back to get them, and she thinks... Her mom is going to like scream at her and chew her out and tell her how she's wasted her life. And her mom just looks at her with this ice-cold stare and spits out a curse at her and curses her marriage and says oh. that she's, her marriage will be cursed till her end of days. Dang. And the belief in the supernatural is woven throughout the fabric of Italian society. Everybody believes yeah. in it. Both of them have always believed in it. There's... Even things as simple as the evil eye, the malocchio, Mm -hmm. is very common. If you compliment someone, they'll spit on the ground three times afterwards to (laughs) to clear the evil eye, right? So she heard this curse and she she implicitly believed it. There was Mm -hmm. no part. She knew she was cursed. And this is the turning point for her. You thought her life was bad now, but now she's been cursed. What? This is the turning (laughs) point for Leonardo where everything bad in her life is related to this curse. And she's going to become obsessed with it. Mm. Dang. So she develops severe anxiety and seizures. She didn't already have severe anxiety? She, she probably did, but she <laughs> right. starts to have really noticeable severe anxiety, mm-hmm. and she starts having seizures, which Dang. she assumes has to do with the curse. Yeah. And she thinks she's probably dying, that, that the curse is going to kill her. So she finds a Romani fortune teller and says, am I going to die? And the fortune teller says, no, you're going to live a really long life. And she's like, oh, thank God. This huh. curse isn't real. I'll be fine. And the fortune teller says, you're going to live a really long life full of sadness and you're going to outlive all of your children. Oh. She's like, oh. I knew it was going to be like that. Nothing good. Nothing good Mm. for Leonardo. Of course, this feeds her anxiety and her belief in this curse. Yeah. And it takes her three years to get pregnant Mm -hmm. and she miscarries. 
And then she miscarries again. And I, it's unclear how many miscarriages she had, but she had several. And the more anxious she gets, the more seizures she has. Right. And when she has seizure, seizures, she's falling down. So there's mm. no way of knowing why she's miscarrying, but it could be related to all of the injuries she sustains from her seizures. Yeah. At this point, Raffaele and Leonardo are like, we got to get out of the shadow of this curse. And I don't think Raffaele really believed in it, but he knew that it was as real as his wife believed it was, so long as she believed it. Because she would burn dinner, and he'd be like, oh, whatever, we'll just have, (laughs) you know, burnt dinner, it's fine. And she would would just start crying. And she would say, it's the curse, I know it's the curse, I can never be a good wife to you, because I'm cursed, and I'm bringing this curse to you. She couldn't, everything that went the tiniest bit wrong to her was an example of the curse. They end up moving to this place called Lauria Potenza, and it's a lot further south. Raffaele had grown up there, so he had some family there to help them. Well, that's good. Not with money, but with, you know, family being around. Yeah. They found some stability. Leonardo's anxiety improved, and in 1922, she gave birth to her first child. Giuseppe. Giuseppe. <laughs> yeah. And she it's really a good bonded. good Italian with- name. It's a good Italian name. It's a nice Italian name. It's a nice Italian name. So, that song is awful. Uh, So, she really bonds with Giuseppe. She pampers him. She wraps her whole life around him. She Mm -hmm. finally has her miracle. She wonders if her curse is broken. It's not. Spoiler, it's not. She's so obsessed with her son that when he's a few years old, her husband is like, you have to go get a job. You have to spend mm-hmm. some time away from him or he's going to be smothered by your love. It's going to ruin both of you. And it make mm-hmm. it would make her anxiety high. With postpartum depression, or excuse me, postpartum anxiety, that's a thing that happens where mothers can become so fixated on the well-being of their kids that it's right. their mental health unravels. So it took her a long time to find a job. She couldn't find anything that paid very much money. Everything was women's work, cleaning and waitressing. Which she wasn't good at. Which, well, it was her mom that wasn't good at cleaning. Oh. <laughs> but she, actually, she was good. She becomes Was she good like at Cinderella? Cause did she have to clean because her mom couldn't? Probably. Okay. This is kind of like a fairy tale. This is, this is like a fairy tale. It's so dark that it's hard to believe that it's a real story. Yeah, I'm really surprised. I've never heard of like a movie about it or anything. It's mentioned in a movie and there was actually a Broadway play based on her <gasps> life. Oh my gosh. Is it a, it's not a musical though. I don't think so. That there would be, should be a musical adaptation. A musical. We'll have to look <laughs> Next into project. It. So she finds a job bussing tables at a tavern, but it's really hard for her to work because she keeps having seizures. And it, even when she was getting little jobs, she would get fired for having seizures at work. She gets pregnant again because why wouldn't you? You have family there to support you. Things seem basically good. She miscarries. This makes her cling oh. even more to Giuseppe. Like he could yeah. be my only child. He's a miracle. And then finally she gives birth to two girls and a boy in pretty quick succession. And she's relieved. She's like, I beat the curse. Three mm-hmm. pregnancies in a row, no miscarriages, live births, beautiful children. And well, she's the, the Romani fortune teller did say that she would have kids. She would outlive her children. She would outlive her multiple children. Right. Yeah. She bonds with these kids. Not to the level that she's bonded with Giuseppe, but she bonds with these kids and she loves them. The first is always the favorite. Uh, you know the, it's true. The kids start to get sick because she can't have anything. One of the little girls had some type of lung disease that just kept getting worse and worse to where she was nearly like drowning in her own like, sputum. Just <laughs> it wasn't COVID, mm-hmm. but 
Leonardo is staying up all night every night holding her upright in her arms because every time the little girl lies down she basically Aww. can't breathe. Is it like crew or something? Croup? Croup? That's what it's called. Uh, croup is usually related to like a contagious a contagious Just virus like that turns to like bronchitis. It could be anything. Because back then the probably the medical stuff was really either just hard to come by they they couldn't afford a doctor existent yeah so she had to figure it out on her own so it could have just been a chronic lung disease i mean for all we know it was cystic fibrosis i only know what that is because i've been watching gray's anatomy Anatomy. (laughs) yep (laughs) was is it gray's anatomy where there's the couple with cystic fibrosis and they're not supposed to be around each other yeah yeah I loved that storyline when when I saw that years ago. (laughs) Romeo and Juliet with less violence. Exactly. So she does everything she can, but her baby daughter died in her arms. Mm -hmm. And then her baby boy died of what at the time was what we call SIDS now. She put him to sleep in his cot, and the next day he was just dead. I'm going to pull a Lauren and start crying over these babies. (laughs) It was really hard, and her anxiety just skyrocketed she became obsessed with keeping her remaining son and daughter alive Mm -hmm. she starts waking them up in the middle of the night to check if they're breathing and to make sure that they're okay which i didn't have as many miscarriages as her (laughs) and i definitely didn't have any children die so far and god (laughs) you gotta appease the fae and i did that to my kids i did that i remember i did that to you when you were a baby a few times woke you up because i was afraid you weren't breathing overbearing just kidding so her anxiety is spiraling. She gets pregnant several more times, which is traumatic in and of itself because she's terrified of a miscarriage. She's terrified of having seizures while she's pregnant. Right. And each one of those children dies before they reach age three. That was five boys in total. No way. Five kids in a row. Boom, boom, boom. By the but time... she still has Giuseppe? She has Giuseppe and she has a daughter. And the I daughter. Don't know the da- okay. I don't know the daughter's name. But she... In total, by the time this is all said and done, she has four living children and 10 of her children have died and she has an uncounted amount of miscarriages. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She must just have always been pregnant. Yeah. So always in this state of yeah, freaking out. Yeah, and always in like a state of grief. And she's getting more and more obsessed with Giuseppe. Her mental health is getting worse every time a kid dies. Raffaele mm. gets her a job cleaning the bank in town. He uses his connections and it's after hours so there's no people because she's so mentally unstable mm-hmm. at this point that she doesn't she can't be and doesn't really want to be around other people he's hoping this will improve her mental health and and it does she has to learn how to make soap from scratch using fat and lye hmm. to make soaps to clean the bank it's not just a job cleaning the bank she's got to make the soap she's probably <laughs> got to make the rags she's got to this is rural italy in right. you know the 19 what 1920s she starts really enjoying making soaps and takes a lot of pride in her work and there's the sense of satisfaction of changing something from dirty to clean with the things that she made and she gets really skilled at soap making during this time no one's giving her any credit for that she's just doing women's work that everybody's overlooking for a very meager wage at some point the instability in their finances is really a part of what freaks her out she wants to have money to call a doctor when her kids are sick yeah that's a reasonable I mean, you shouldn't need money to get a doctor, but exactly. it's a reasonable thing to want access to a doctor when your child is sick. Yes. She goes into the bank one night, and she gets out the bank ledgers, and she Ooh. creates a fake bank account. Ooh. And Smart. Yeah. Kinda. <laughs> Something's going to go bad, though. Yeah. <laughs> so she makes this fake account for herself, and she puts money in it, and then she goes into the bank the next day to empty out the account. 
And they know who she is. She cleans the she bank. works there. She knows, they know she doesn't have any money. Aww. So they take a closer look at it and see that it's fraudulent. And the police come and take her to jail. Goddamn. <laughs> and she's convicted of fraud. I wasn't clear on what her actual sentence was. Somewhere in my memory, I, I think I read five years in one of the things that I read. But mm. when I went to do my notes, I couldn't remember. She served 18 months of her sentence in a convent. Women's prisons were kind of a new concept in Italy at this time. So a lot of them were inside convents. Hmm. N- and nuns are notoriously brutal. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when she talked about it later, she felt like she had the grounding from mm-hmm. her childhood to survive that. Right. So uh, she did, you know, quote unquote, well in this environment. And so she was released after 18 months to the care of her husband, uh, which he does seem caring, at least. Yeah. If you're going to have to <laughs> say something the last. so sexist. <laughs> at this point, though, Raffaele has lost his job because their reputation is ruined in this town. Oh, no. So they had to leave. They had to leave town and go. So they had to go on the road. How is that better, though? Then they don't have family. Oh, but the reputation. Yeah, his family had to publicly shun them, but did give them some secret money to leave town because they were really struggling. So, like, they're like, we love you, but, like, we'll look really bad if we support you. So here's some secret money and go find a new place to live. Good luck to you. They go in search of a new home, but they have kids this time, so they can't just be traveling on the road with some luggage like they did before. It's a really tough trip they move back to Avellino to a place called La Cedonia and Raffaele gets a job things start to get really stable and she starts to relax her anxiety quiets she's having less seizures which means something bad's gonna happen mm-hmm. so she she's still pretty preoccupied with the curse and the future and she goes to a Romani caravan to have her fortune told and again mm-hmm. And she's told by the fortune teller, in one hand I see prison, in the other a mental asylum. Great. Yeah. It's my favorite institutions. So guess what happens? Her anxiety skyrockets, <laughs> skyrockets and her seizures come back. Oh. She starts going to the Romani caravans all the time because now she's obsessed. Well, yeah. She needs answers all the time about what's mm-hmm. going to happen. In the meantime, she's developed this personality sort of around interpreting everything as an omen. Yeah. Everything is a sign, good or bad. Her dreams carry significant weight. And her husband's kind of like, well, she's a little eccentric, but I love her, you know. Yeah. She's just a little superstitious. He, he tries but... to keep her calm. And, and her, you know, her kids are affected by this to some degree. And I think we'll see later what degree Giuseppe was affected. But mostly it's like, ah, oh, that's just how my mom is. She's really superstitious. And that's mm-hmm. not totally uncommon in Southern Italy. Yeah, Especially definitely. at this time. I mean, it's not uncommon now in Southern Italy. Right. So she's going all the time. And finally, she's like, why don't I learn how to tell fortunes? Mm. She starts to make this transition from being addicted to psychics, essentially, for answers to wanting to find her own answers. And this is really her transition into being a witch. She incidentally does have some Romani ancestry on her father's side. And is that why she's like cool with Romani people? Well, her mom had always told her never to go to the caravans and that they were really bad. Mm -hmm. But she was so desperate. She, she, her mom didn't say they don't know what they're talking about. They're charlatans. She's, her mom said they're dangerous. They're they're bad in these different ways that are related to stereotypes. So Romani people, I don't Mm want to. Uh, repeat but she never said that their fortune telling wasn't accurate in fact most people in europe believe their fortune telling is very accurate yeah they start helping her because they like her she's this quirky girl giving them good business giving them good business (laughs) 
And um, and as I said, she did have some Romani history. I don't think that I don't think that that plays into that at all, because as far as anybody else yeah. was, would have been concerned, she wasn't Romani, and it's one also one of those it's not who you claim, it's who claims you yeah. kind of things. So in Lacedonia during harvest time, everybody. Not everybody, but most people would leave their jobs and go out in the fields to harvest the wheat that's used for pasta, the semolina. Oh, and there, it was the party environment. Everybody camped out in the fields and slept under the stars and stayed up late talking. And Leonardo and Raffaele's family were no different. At this point, she has her four living children. She's not going to have any more children die at this point. Ten children had died by now for wow. her. Or for her and Raffaele, because, of course, he experienced this, too. They all go out into the fields, and they're doing the thing, and they're having a great time. They're really happy. They're thinking, this is it. This is going to be the life for us. And while she's sleeping in the field with the two of her kids in her arms, she startles awake with this bad feeling and can't go back to sleep. And then a short while later, the earth starts shaking. Oh. And the author of the book that I... The, is most of my research is based on said finally all the people in town were feeling what Leonardo felt all the time mm. instability yeah and so people are super panicked it's a huge earthquake in Italy there are really big earthquakes obviously mm. because there's a lot of volcanoes or right. a lot of there's I think two two active three maybe three active volcanoes mm. and uh, and they're on the ring of fire Bay Area culture is just not, culture. not being <laughs> surprised by earthquakes at all. <laughs> well, at the time, buildings were made out of stone yeah, and brick. And obviously, we have come a long way. With. And Italy has big, they have big earthquakes like we do, but we don't have them that often. It seems, no. it seems like, well, I don't know. But how we have often a they have lot them. of little ones where after the entire day, you ask everybody if they felt it. That's true. <laughs> Did you know that the Bay Area has an average of six earthquakes per week, but most of them are really? so small that people can't feel them and don't remark on them? It's not, not until surprising. they get to like a 3.2 or anything that people start going, oh, earthquake. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your naysayers. I love earthquakes. They're so fun. Every time I wake up and there's one, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you it's know, exciting. I thought that too until the last th- like 3.3 <laughs> earthquake that was two miles away shook yeah. the house so much that now none of our doors open and close right mine went back to normal so oh, that's good yeah I, we've still <laughs> got two doors i've fixed a couple we've still got two doors in the house that are no good now that's funny there's an earthquake sim- simulation at one of the science exploratorium, exploratorium? no no it's the california Sci- academy of sciences has a yes simulator. nsf that's really fun <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I used to get excited about earthquakes, like, ooh, exciting. Mm -hmm. And now I just think with dread, how much is the house going to slide down the hill? And how much is that going to cost me? It's true. I don't have, like, to pay mortgage or anything. (laughs) Or it's a a little less concerned. Yeah. (laughs) I think seismic repairs on this house average, like, $70,000. So that's, what, two years of full price, no scholarship (laughs) college? Enjoy community college, kid. (laughs) So this earthquake essentially knocks down the whole town and more than half of the people are in the field which is great because they didn't die right but their families their remaining family members were still in the town so they rush back into the town to try and pull people out of the rubble Mm -hmm. and that's when the aftershocks hit of course and most of those people died so this it's a tiny town in total, over 50, I think over 1,500 people died or around 1,500 really? people died in this earthquake. And there was really only one family that didn't have anybody back in town to run in for, and it was the Pansardis. 
And so they were all spared, the six of them. And Leonardo comes to think maybe the that was because of the curse, mm-hmm. but the town swallowed the curse. And it starts to look that way because they move up north to Reggio Emiliana. Reggio Emilia. <laughs> Reggio Emilia. It's a province in sort of the cent- northern center part, not by Milan, but a little south of there. Mm-hmm. In between, sort of, you think of Ven- where Venice is if you go west of there. And Correggio is this little town full of sweet people who take in these earthquake refugees. They help Raffaele find a job. It's a pretty good paying job. They're able to rent a really cute little house in town. It has a shop underneath and they just leave it closed and they live upstairs and his paycheck is enough that she can stay home, not work, and they're even able to make to have savings, to put away savings. So she's really feeling stable and she's starting to feel happy and secure and really making an attempt to bond with her kids and be the mom that she has not been able to be because her mental health has been so poor. She One day she decides to open the shop downstairs and start selling her soaps, which is a oh, huge yeah. hit. They're nice. really popular. She gets permission from her husband to spend mm-hmm. their savings on soap making supplies wow. and goes all out. She Supports opens, small businesses. <laughs> she opens the shop and... People love it. She starts really making friends. Her kids are doing well. Everything looks really good for this family. Finally. Mm. They're finally part of the petty bourgeoisie. Yes. (laughs) There you go. Eventually, people get to know her well enough to know that she low-key tells fortunes, and they start coming in for fortunes. And she starts... She starts doing this sort of side down low project of Mm -hmm. people come in and she bakes these delicious tea cakes. She gives Mm. them, she gives them tea and tea cakes and reads their palms. And they start coming to her with all of their problems, including, you know, not just what they're asking for help with. With fortune telling, she becomes this advice giver, this elder woman as her kids are growing up. She's not quite an elder yet. I think she's in her 40s, but she's. but she's becoming this character around town that people really trust and love Mm -hmm. and even people who are skeptical of fortune telling go to her because they think if everybody else goes to her there must be something to it so she's doing really well and romani caravans pass through and they come to her shop and they Mm -hmm. trade her for soap they exchange information about the occult um, Mm -hmm. fortune telling card reading and they trade her occult texts from everywhere that they've traveled Ooh. for her soap. And she accumulates a really impressive occult library. One That's of the, a good trade. Yeah, one of the best in Italy. And she's got texts in other languages that she's mm-hmm. trying to learn how to read these languages so she can read these other books. And she's really into it. Now she yeah. has a little office at this point that's her inner sanctum where she's studying witchcraft intensively. Mm-hmm. And really, and she did she not have any kind of formal education? She did not. So that must have been like a real... She's a go-getter. She starts practicing stregeria, stregeria, (laughs) and she starts expanding to other arts. She learns about benedicaria, benedicaria, Mm. which is an ancestor worship that is specific to the Tuscan region, which is a little west of where she is, and I think southwest. And then she starts looking at uh, stregenoria, which is a brand of witchcraft that's really infused with Catholicism mm-hmm. sort of like uh, Santa Muerte in Mexico and early voodoo practice in the US where the dominant religion shapes the magical practice mm-hmm. and then the magical practice hides itself in the in religion it, yeah. in the dominant 
religious culture. That makes sense. Uh, she starts doing small workings for people in town on the down low, not just telling fortunes, but doing spells. She's making these little bags called brevi, which is sort of like a charm bag in um, British traditional witchcraft. Uh, and then there are other traditions that use bags also. Mm-hmm. Women who do this call themselves a fixer. And in Italian, it's fatuchiere. <laughs> Everything sounds better in Italian. It, as True. A, so, the, she's a soap maker. But in Italian, it's... Let me see if I can do this. Sapona fatrice. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> that so, is fun. <laughs> yeah. So now that she's studying all this witchcraft, she's like, I got to break this curse once and for all. And this is a part of how she how she finds the drive to focus on all of the study but she's really happy and she's starting to have a sense of control over herself and her surroundings and her life and then world war ii breaks out because she really can't have anything man wouldn't you know her freshly grown son he's like 17 i think at the time giuseppe Giuseppe. yeah you're not gonna like him anymore no he's not he wants to leave town just like she wanted to leave her family mm-hmm. home and was going to get out by any means necessary. So he conscripts himself to Mussolini's army. No! Little fascist. Little fascist. Why? He had to sneak away to do it because his mom never would have let him do it. And she Good. still had quite a hold on him. He would, she would say, I had a bad dream last night. You can't walk that way to work. Uh-huh. She'd say, oh no, you know, the bird flew this way. You can't go see your friends tonight. <laughs> and he's kind of been really sheltered despite all of the tragedy. He's been really sheltered by her. So he's not a tough kid talking about joining the army. And she knows he is going to die. Yeah. Whether it's her psychic abilities or it's just knowing that he's, sense. he doesn't even win little you know fist fights that he gets into with his friends right. so she's like my son is going to die in this war she's obsessed now she's got to break the curse and not only she got to break the curse she's got to infuse some type of intense protection over him because yeah. he's in her mind he is fated to die this is his fate and she has to break his fate there are a lot of ways. If you had the chance to change your fate. Yeah, she should have gone to Scotland. Turned herself she into a bear. Gone to a woodcarver. A woodcarver. I'm not a witch. I'm a woodcarver. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of ways in witchcraft that she could have done this. She went a different mm-hmm. way. I'm gonna say she went a different way. A good witch makes their own spells and rituals, and she did do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not gonna say I agree with what she did. Because I don't. I am going to say I have never in my life related to a <laughs> confessed serial killer, confessed and convicted serial killer as much as I relate to her. Okay. And <laughs> again, I don't condone what she did, but I still, I kind of like her. I can I can understand the appeal. She is the kind of like anti-hero that you really want. You know what I mean? You just want things to go well for her. And yeah. I really understand how her mundane mind works, her regular life brain works. And mm-hmm. I actually really, I think I really understand how her magical brain works, what, where her thoughts are in terms of her magical practice. Everything that she does actually makes sense, speaking magically. She could have done different magic to yield the same type of result. But she went this way. This was the undoing. And a part of this is that a part of her mental illness is that she has really propped this boy Giuseppe up. He just signed up for Mm. a fascist army. He is no prize. But she thinks of him as being a miracle more worthy of life than other people. Mm. And this is the undoing. Right. And I also understand it. 
I'm not saying that I feel that way about my children, but mm-hmm. I understand loving them so much that you you can get kind of caught up in it, mm-hmm. and you have but you have to bring yourself back down. And this is where she didn't she did not do that yeah. at all. All right, it's gonna get rocky. Here we go. <laughs> so she starts studying, and she begins to believe that there needs to be an exchange, a life for a life, mm. and that that's the only way to appease the fate. And yeah. she's not thinking of the fates. She's just thinking of sort of fate. The balance of the universe or whatever. Like you take right. one life to give one. Makes right, sense. exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying that there isn't a magical context for that either. Mm-hmm. But you still come to Earth for a human experience. And a part of the human experience is supposed to be that we don't hurt each other. Right? <laughs> so? Theoretically. Theoretically. Yeah. She starts to think that somebody's got to die for her son to live. And she starts thinking about who it's got to be. Mm. She also is thinking about how to make this spell and how to craft it so that it will be really, really successful. And it dawns on her that everything in her life led her to this moment because this spell needs to cover him inside and out with magical protection. And she learned how to make soap and she learned how to bake. And she's really Mm. good at both. Mm -hmm. So she believes that this spell has to be worked into the soap and into some type of food to feed to him. Again, there's you can use that as the foundation mm. of your magical practice and it makes perfect sense. It definitely makes sense to like cleanse yourself with some kind of soap. Like that really makes sense. Yeah. Or like or ingest something. oil. Yeah. Ingest something that's been infused with magic. That right. all makes sense to me. Especially because what you eat becomes a part of your cells and yeah. that, you know, there's the, and there's just a clear sympathetic magic thing going on with that idea. But... She also believed that the life in trade needed to be a part of that inside and out. Lord. Which leads us to spinster Faustina Setti. Mm. So, and keep in mind that Leonardo wasn't completely without conscience. She didn't want anyone to suffer. She knew that this right. was sinning and she knew that it was, she was very clear that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. She was making a conscious choice to say, I'm going to do yeah. something that is incredibly wrong and is essentially like damning me to hell mm-hmm. because I want this other thing. Because she, she wants to save her son. She didn't go into it lightly. She wanted it to be painless, at least at first. <sighs> and so? And so Faustina Setti is in her 30s. She is a spinster at that time. I mean, even in your 20s at that time, you're kind of a spinster if you're not married yet. And she's desperate to find a husband. And... She goes a a lot. She goes to Leonardo for advice and for help finding a husband and for little charms that might bring her a man. One day she comes to Leonardo and Leonardo says, I found you a husband. So she tells Faustina that she's found her a husband. She's been writing to this man in Polo, which is a town like a hundred-ish miles east of where they are. And that she sent her picture and he's fallen in love with her and she set everything up right and she should just pack up her bags and hey man she came over with her bags packed <laughs> and all of her all of her money everything that she owned oh no she goes over to Leonardo's house Leonardo's like you know you need to write these postcards in advance about your travel explain to your family why you're leaving because she'd presented in this really mysterious way where Faustina wouldn't tell her family anything about it And so she's like, you have to write these postcards explaining to your family where you are and Mm -hmm. that your trip is going good and you're really excited. And then I'll post them for you. 
and you need to write them out in advance because you know how the post is you wouldn't want them to get lost in your family to be worried about you mm-hmm. or think that you went missing or anything like that man and faustina is so stoked to find a man that she does it she writes the postcards oh and leonardo gives her a glass of wine and she drinks it and this wine has herbs and also prescription drugs in it to it's meant to make her pass out how did she get prescription drugs if she can't get a doctor well they're doing really well now oh so and i i say prescription drugs they could be over the counter at this time you Mm. could get a lot of things over the counter that are prescription now yeah quote unquote prescription (laughs) what quote unquote prescription you mean me saying quote unquote prescription i mean like they were prescription drugs but they didn't have prescription now but (laughs) sure okay they didn't have a subscription subscription So she insists she drinks the wine and Faustina feels groggy and gets really, dis- you know, she gets really discombobulated. discombobulated. Yeah, She's having trouble with her coordination and Leonardo relieves her of her pocketbook and her jewelry. Oh, relieves. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Don't mind if I do. Just and attacks her with an axe. Now this murder is the most gruesome. An axe? It's I her- thought she wanted to not be like. Yeah. Well, she wanted her to be unconscious when she and hacked she her wasn't to death. And but she wasn't no. unconscious. She was conscious. Things. Th- this was her test pancake. She's trying to <laughs> try not murder. She's learning how to oh, murder. Yeah, totally. She she wanted to be a witch. She never wanted to be a murderer. So mm-hmm. she hits her with the axe, and she's apparently reciting the words of a spell. And right before she hits her with the axe, she tells her sorry. She's the only one that can Uh tell that story. But when she hits her, she misses and hits her in the shoulder. Ouchie. Then she pulls the axe out of her shoulder and tries to hit her in the center of her head, in the front, in her forehead. Uh But her skull deflects the blade. And so it ends up doing is peeling back the layer of her forehead, you know, like all her forehead (laughs) to the bone. She's still alive and she's still conscious. Uh And she's really unhappy. Leonardo starts hacking her with an axe and cuts her into four pieces. Jesus. Faustina is still screaming. Oh my god! So Leonardo just starts hacking at her with the axe until the right screaming. Now she's like panicking. She's like just so die. The screaming stops. She's screaming yeah. while she's doing it. It's just this awful scene. Her kitchen god. is this bloody murder scene, and a lot of blood has been spilled. And blood is what what she needed for yeah. her spell. For her spell, so she's a little bit discouraged, but she collects as much blood as she can. She spends hours massaging. She hacks up the body oh God. and then spends hours trying like to massage every it. yes Ew. every last drop of blood. <laughs> and she's gonna put those in trays to put in the oven to bake them at a low temperature so they dry and can be the dried blood can be ground into powder. She cuts off the fat of her body and puts it in the pot for to render for soap making, and then takes the rest of her body, chops it up, puts it in big cooking pots with caustic soap chemicals, and she's expecting that it will dissolve the rest of her body which it mostly does mm-hmm. she cleans up the blood meanwhile she puts the trunks in the basement she gets the blood out of the oven and she scrapes all the dried blood out of the yeah <laughs> out of the baking trays and grinds it up probably in a mortar and pestle mm-hmm. which i have several and you know that nothing you, ever yeah. comes out of them Right. You know what I mean? It's stuck in there. It's the tiny pieces of things are in the grain of the stone. And that must have taken a hella long time because people have a lot of blood. (laughs) 
Right. Since she's so she cleans up all the blood, strips off her clothes, she's soaking them in vinegar to get the blood stains out. She knew. And trying to make the kitchen look like it never happened. Mm-hmm. She takes the powdered blood and she bakes it into tea cakes. Oh, God. And she goes over to check her soap pot to see how the soap is doing. And when she opens it up, it's got an off smell. It's foul. It's mm-hmm. slimy. It's not going to turn into soap. And that happens sometimes for soap makers who make animal soap, which she does. That's why yeah. she's familiar with this. So she's got to throw it out. And she's like, it didn't work. The spell didn't work. I did something wrong. And that's why this, so and that's why the soap wouldn't work. So does she have to do it again? Yes, she does oh, have to do no. it again. Oh, no. That's why I said it was her test pancake. <laughs> you know, the last one's the best one. So she... Hey, I thought you said I was your test can- pancake. You are my test pancake. <laughs> what the heck does that mean then? I don't know. Look at your little brother. Maybe you did turn out the best. I'm just kidding. Don't tell him I said that. He's a good little boy. <laughs> Except for the bald spot. <laughs> yeah, he did give himself a bald spot with the scissors this week. Giuseppe comes home. And she's like, oh, my, my soap didn't turn out. It's off. Can you please take this big pot of bad off not soap mm-hmm. and pour it into the sewer? And he's like, sure. He doesn't even it's like, all right. right. He's done it before. Exactly. He doesn't think anything of it. And he comes back and she's like, oh, I made tea cakes. You should eat some. Mm-hmm. These are the ones with the blood in yes. them. And she wants to see if he'll notice if there's anything weird about them. Uh-huh. She notices when... She takes a bite out of this. She feels like this spiritual sort of jolt, this like energetical jolt. So she's oh, like, weird. my magic, I'm on the right track with my magic is what she's feeling. She wants him to taste it to see what he thinks. He does. And she then proceeds to give out those tea cakes to everybody who comes into her shop until they're mm. gone. And to her, that's a part of getting rid of evidence. Yummy. I mean, if she threw the tea cakes away, I don't think anyone would be testing them for blood. But she felt like that was getting rid of evidence. <laughs> yeah. A few weeks later, she picks a new target, Francesca Suave. Oh. So in Suave, not Suave, like Rico mm-hmm. Suave. Suave. Like suave. <laughs> <laughs> Francesca's a retired school teacher. Her husband's recently died and she really needs work because she's about to be a destitute widow. Mm-hmm. And the perfect target. The perfect Who's target. Who's going to look for her? Right. Leonardo tells her this cockamamie story about finding her a, a position at an elite girls' school in um, in this town called Piacenza. And it's near Switzerland. It's like in the northeast part of the country. And she convinces her. And she spends a lot of time weaving these lies, like tiny layer right. upon tiny la- layer. And it's sort of like when you're prank calling people, you start with something kind of believable. Mm-hmm. And then you very slowly edge into what is completely unreasonable. Yeah, if you started exactly. with it, people would be like, what? Exactly. But because but you, you started be like, kind of reasonable. Oh, yeah, my amp. It needs new tubes. I can't remember what they're called. Let me just look it up really quickly. Like mm, something with an F. You gotta take right. a while before you get to the fallopian. Drag them exactly. <laughs> Drag them into the into the story, which she did, and she clearly did it well, and people trusted her. So she did the same thing with the postcards. Oh, I forgot to say, she mm-hmm. had her son Giuseppe mail the postcards from the town over. She didn't do it herself. Wow. So but she really dragged him into even, it. He didn't yeah. know anything about it. <laughs> So she does the same thing where she has her write the postcards to her family in advance, drugs her with wine, she takes her wallet, and she takes all of her things after she's drugged. Mm -hmm. This time she's more prepared. She's got her bins out to catch the blood. All of her stuff is totally prepared. Francesca doesn't seem to notice that there's all this shit out in the kitchen. Because she brings... (laughs) 
she brings these women up into her kitchen mm-hmm. for this. This isn't something that happens downstairs in the shop. Yeah, right. And so she's just completely prepared. She's not going to waste a single drop of blood or a little chunk of fat. And she <laughs> she does it pretty quickly. She, I think Francesca does pass all the way out. And she there's a killing blow to the head, pretty clean. Okay. She cuts her body into four pieces. Everything's neat and tidy, as neat and tidy as cutting up a kitchen, a body in your kitchen could possibly be. This time, her her trays for blood are brimming, and she oh. takes the fat to render. Everything looks really good. She cleans the kitchen. She soaks her clothes. She goes about the whole thing. She makes the tea co- the tea cakes with the blood dried blood. Everything is soap. going really well. And then she gets to the soap. When she tasted these tea tea cakes, she did everything the same, but when she tasted these tea cakes, she could taste the iron in them, and she felt a stronger jolt from tasting the tea cake. She goes to the soap. The soap is slimy and off. Doesn't work. Doesn't work again. And she's thinking, she's now no. she's like, oh shit, A of all, my son is going to die. B of all, I've murdered two people for nothing, you know, except for the learning experience. <laughs> and she's so she's like freaking out she ends up grabbing one of the pots with her bare hand and getting a burn on it which doesn't have any significance except for in the storytelling her son Mm. asks her about it and thinks she's being cagey when she tells him what happened Mm. so don't be suspicious don't be suspicious don't be suspicious don't be suspicious (laughs) so she has him discard of the soap and the remaining parts of the body in the sewer he sends out the postcards. She's got to pick a new mark. This time she's convinced that she had picked an unworthy life. This woman's life was almost over already. She wasn't mm. worthy of her son. So she's really oh starting goodness. to... Well, she's got to rationalize what she's done. So yeah, she's definitely. really falling into this... Just to justify it to herself. So she's like falling into just straight up delusion at this point. Mm. So she picks Virginia Cacioppo. She was a former soprano. She's still pretty young. She was a soprano. Soprano. She performed opera at La Scala in Milan. Milano. I know a few Italian operas. She's very worldly and beautiful and sophisticated Mm. and fashionable. And at this point in in town, Leonardo's really trusted, but she's still kind of a witch. And people are a little like, oh, there's a town witch. Yeah, right. And when Virginia, who's from the big city, is like, oh, cool, the town witch. We're going to be friends. Mm -hmm. When Virginia starts coming around, she elevates Leonardo's social status. Mm-hmm. And she loves her. She's telling Leonardo was obviously smart and capable and could have done a lot if she had had a completely different life. Right. And she's not unaware of that. And so she loves to hear Virginia's stories of the big city. Mm-hmm. They love, they, they sit and they talk and they gossip and Virginia comes in her fancy clothes with her fancy jewelry and her mm-hmm. fancy perfume and she loves it. And then she, she they fall in love and they run away and, and everything is fine. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> So this would be a huge personal loss for Leonardo. Mm -hmm. And she's thinking, that's it. That's the magic ingredient that I'm missing. You need to have a personal loss. I can't just take from other people. I have to take something from myself. Yeah. And besides my integrity. (laughs) Right. At that time, Virginia had been in town for a long time, staying with her brother and his wife. And she had run out of work prospects. It was a small town and she needed to move on to a big city if she Mm -hmm. wanted to keep performing music and doing her thing so somehow leonardo creates this elaborate story of this mysterious job in a big city for her 
and really drags her in, hardly gives her any information wow. because she's not even sophisticated well, enough to make up these lies. Right. She's a psychic, so like she can tell people whatever the heck and they'll believe her. Yes. She can use the fact that people trust her yeah. as a psychic to say things. Right. Like she can just tell you that that's your future and then you're more inclined to want to do it because you're like, oh, well. You're meant to be here. This is your fate. Exactly. Bro. Dangerous. And then she says, I'm not a witch. I'm a woodcarver. <laughs> she does the murder the same as before, but it's much more familiar. Her friend comes over to her and is excited to see her. And it's mm-hmm. like, you've got to tell me about this thing. Aww. And she's like, yeah, here, write these postcards. We're going to do this thing, like a slumber party. Drink Aww. this wine. Apparently, her friend didn't want to drink the wine, but she kept insisting. And her friend said, well, it seems important to you. I'll do it. You Aww. know, some version of it seems important right. to you, so I'll do it. Virginia does pass out. She mm. delivers the killing blow to her chest, Ouchie. splintering her ribs. Pretty brutal. Yeah. Everything goes exactly perfect this time. Mm-hmm. She catches so- she catches all the blood. Mm-hmm. The tea cakes turn out amazing. They're the best ones that she's made. She feels like Virginia's sweetness in life led to the sweetness of the tea cakes. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. The soap is looking okay, but it's got this kind of weird smell, and she gets kind of nervous about it and mm-hmm. she's like something's not right and I, this is a moment I do think mm-hmm. she was relying on some psychic power she goes to Virginia's luggage and she pulls out her perfume and she takes this mm-hmm. like three quarters full bottle of perfume pours and she it pours there. it in there so it's really made of Virginia yeah it smells like her it's made of her fat it's wow. her and the soap turns out incredible it's creamy it's rich she just is like this is it this is this is she the spell, the spell? Yeah. and she feels like Everything was worth it. She knows that she's essentially sold her soul. She knows that by killing people, she knows that she's in danger from the police. She yeah. knows that everyone will turn against her, but she's protected her son and she's absolutely sure of it. Well, she hasn't finished the spell, but mm-hmm. she's on her way. She uh, cleans everything up, gets rid of everything, cleans up the kitchen, obviously not the soap and the tea cakes. And Giuseppe comes home and she insists that he take a bath before he put on his army uniform. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I don't need a bath. And she's like, just do this for me. I'm your mom and you're leaving. Mm -hmm. So he does. And she comes in the room and he's like, I'm a big boy and I can wash myself. I'm a grown up now. I'm going to go be a fascist in the military. (laughs) Right. As one and does. As one does not <laughs> do that. And so she bathes him. And he's kind of like so used to all of her eccentricities that he's thinking, if I just let her give me this bath, I'm going to be leaving in a little while. And right. she'll never be able to treat me this way again. She'll never be able to just smother me all the time mm-hmm. and like make my whole life about her paranoia and about her delusions Right. as he sees them. He gets out of the bath and she gives him a towel and he goes in the kitchen And she's like, here, have one of my cakes. And he's like, I don't want it. And she's like, just sit down and eat it. And she just very, she's so happy. She's, uh, it's uncanny how happy she is. She sits him down and she feeds him a tea cake. Now keep in mind, he's already been eating the blood tea cakes. Right. But this this time time. he can tell something's weird about her. Okay. He couldn't tell before. Right. She killed two people and apparently it didn't seem that weird. Mm. So she feeds him the tea cake. And she's like, that's it. The spell is done. He's protected. If he goes to war, he'll be protected. He won't die. Mm -hmm. She starts to go back to her daily life. But Virginia's sister-in-law, who was really close with her, they lived together, Mm -hmm. is like, okay, well, I got a postcard, but like, where the fuck did she go? She hasn't said anything else. I can't find her. I don't have a forwarding address. And she figures out that the last place she went was the soap shop. Oh. And so she goes and she calls on Leonardo and she's like, where's my sister-in-law? 
And Leonardo's like, takes her by the hands and is like, come have some tea and some tea cakes. Oh, no. And, oh, girls. Yeah. <laughs> and so she brings her into the shop and she's like, let me read your palms. And oh this goodness. woman is like, don't fucking play me, bitch. <laughs> she's like, where mm-hmm. is my sister-in-law? Where is she going? And Leonardo's eyes fill with tears. Remember, she knows she's experienced a personal loss. This isn't a remorseless killing for her. Yeah. She, well, she feels no remorse for the killing, but she feels regret for the loss of her friend. Right. And the sister-in-law thinks this is weird. So she goes to the cops, and the cops start looking into it. And the yeah. cops start hearing from these other two families, like, we got these postcards, but then we haven't heard anything. They start all ta- talking about the other postcards right. to the other families? Because this wasn't a foolproof plan. No. This was going to protect <laughs> her for not. a couple weeks, maybe. Yeah. So the cops start looking into it. They figure out the soap shop was the last place they went. So they start looking into Giuseppe as the oh, murderer. Oh, because a woman couldn't be a murderer. Correct. Oh my gosh. I love sexism. <laughs> it's benevolent sexism. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so... They start looking into Giuseppe and they look at these postcards and they look at the postmark and it's from the town over. So they go Mm -hmm. over and they get there and they're like, what about this guy? And they're like, oh, yeah, this guy dropped off postcards like three different times. And they're like, oh, here's our murderer. We got him. And they arrest him and are kind of like, where's the bodies? We know you killed these people or where are they? Whatever. They start interrogating him. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, his mom gets wind. He's at the police department being interrogated for the murder she commits. And she's like, fuck that. That's my boy. Mm-hmm. She comes down to the police station and is just eager to give a full confession of every detail. Really? Tea cakes, soap, the oh whole thing. Oh, my goodness. And the cops are like, no. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, this lady is clearly crazy. crazy. She's making up this wild story to protect her That's son. That's so funny. They're <laughs> treating her with kid gloves. They're like, she's mentally unstable, mm-hmm. which she is. Yeah. She's mentally unstable and... So they're going to put her in a... Mm, hang on. No. Oh, no. So they're like, he did it. And oh, and she's protecting Lord. him. They go into the room where he is and they're like, they're like, did you know that your mom just confessed to the murders? And he's like, what? Mm-hmm. And they're like, she told us the story about killing them and making soap and right. protecting your life and making tea cakes. And Giuseppe just goes pale and then turns and oh. vomits. Because he knows every word of it is true. Yeah. So he can, And he ate that cake. And he knows, and he, he, knows ate, he ate it. He ate the cake. <laughs> and got baits in the soap. And so he just tells them every possible thing about his mom that he's that he could ever tell them. It just mm-hmm. comes spilling out of him, his whole life story with his mom. And they're like, oh, I guess she did do it. <laughs> but World War II is going on. So they put her in jail. And it takes them several years to actually build a case against her because of all the war efforts. And then it takes another couple of years to come to trial. So it's six years until it comes to trial <laughs> that she's in jail. And she still is like, yeah, I'm in jail, but I saved my son. She's mm-hmm. she's not thinking this was all for naught. Meanwhile, he goes off to war. She never sees him again. Spoiler. Right. She never sees him again. He's like, fuck this. This is crazy. Yeah. This, I thought she was kind of crazy. This is a different level of crazy. Yeah. So he leaves to go be a fascist mm-hmm. and whatever. <laughs> so she's in trouble. Oh, they, well, they go to the house and they find all the women's luggage mm-hmm. where she said it would be. Mm-hmm. And so they, they have that evidence and they, they take all of her cooking pots and everything and they bring them into court as evidence at her trial. What about her mortar and pestle? They didn't. I don't know uh, what they could have done with that in the in the thirties, right? But, they didn't or forties, like late thirties, 
thankfully they, they couldn't now. like test the blood like we probably could now like the dna or i guess they've been couldn't at war they? for six years so test the blood i don't they don't have like luminol back then dang but they may have had some way of testing to see if something was blood but you wouldn't be able mm. to tell if it was animal blood right gosh it think. used to be so easy to get away with crimes yeah detective work was a lot more creative mm-hmm. so when she was in court the reports about her time in court say that she was making jokes like inappropriate jokes <laughs> and that she really liked telling every single detail. She felt proud of her witchcraft here though. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to say it's presented as if she was always the serial killer and, and she clearly was. Yeah. That she was always the serial killer who was like hiding under the guise of being a loving mom. Mm-hmm. But I think she was a lot proud of her, of her spell. Yeah. And she is a little unhinged. She's enjoying telling all of the details of all of this and she does seem to enjoy it when the families who are in the courtroom oh. look upset or uncomfortable. She does seem to get a kick out of that. So I would say there's Amen. some for real serial killer in there. I mean, I'm not trying you, to. After you become a serial killer, I feel like that's a definite like brain switch. Like I think the that... only way that you can process that trauma, I feel like, is to like. It's like a horcrux. Like you've split your soul yeah, in half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's no coming back. Uh, maybe there's coming back, maybe. but I don't know if there's coming back without a lot of help. And and you're not going to get that help from like... No, from the criminal anyway. justice system. Absolutely, Absolutely not. Jinx. <laughs> he raised me. <laughs> yeah, so in court, she's a little inappropriate. And apparently they had this... They were concerned about the lack of bodies involved in this case because every, the remaining body parts have been put down the sewer. And they brought mm-hmm. in... Because they're trying to get... I think they were trying to get her to confessed to doing something else with the body so maybe they could find them for the families. Mm -hmm. Because she was telling everything. They bring in this soap expert of some (laughs) kind and he's like... Expert witness. They bring in an expert witness and he's like, caustic soda will not dissolve bodies the way that she's saying that it did. And she said, she said, bring me a body. Bring me a body of any age, any size, and I'll prove it to you. Shit. And even the prosecution, uh, even the prosecution was like, actually... It seems like she's the foremost leading expert on this at this right. point, having done it to three people and nobody else that we know of ever has. Yeah, that's true. So, or maybe maybe they knew of others, but they mm-hmm. were basically like, well, she's the world's foremost leading expert. Let's just take her word for it. Now they believe her. Now people do believe that she yeah. did. Yeah. So she convinced the court throughout the trial that she's profoundly mentally ill. That does not mean that she was found not guilty by reason of insanity in an Italian courtroom in the 1940s. It took three days to convict her. She was sentenced to 30 years in prison, followed by three years in a mental institution to be sure she was safe for release. And there it is. On the one hand, I see prison. On the other, I see a mental asylum. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So her time in prison was spent at Pozzuoli Prison, she made friends, cooked for inmates. She was super popular. And she wrote an autobiography that's really a grimoire that I tried so hard to find a copy of. You couldn't? I couldn't find Dang. a copy of it. Maybe I can find one in Italian. Wow. It was called Confessions of an Embittered Soul. Hmm. And it's it's a true grimoire. She, she very neatly describes exactly how the spell worked, how she hacked up the bodies, when she, when she did the last spell, what the you know, how the body was. And then she includes all of these Italian recipes in it. It's filled with baking recipes, including the one for her tea cakes. Oh, So it's a a grimoire, it's a cookbook, it's an autobiography, you know. (laughs) Right. 
She was a very versatile woman. <laughs> this book is still used in Italy by chefs and bakers really? as one of the foremost leading examples of traditional Italian baking. Really? Yeah, it's a really a part of the historical record because she documented something that people weren't documenting things from housewives back then. Yeah. But she got famous. Mm-hmm. And so this was preserved. Wow. So <laughs> I want to read it. <laughs> I know, me too. Dang. 20 years into her sentence, she suffered what seemed like a stroke. And she was having seizures, but they never got as bad as they had been during some of the most anxious times in her life. She wasn't anxious anymore. She was sure her spell worked. Yeah. It turned out it was intracranial bleeding from caustic soda vapor poisoning from the soap-making chemicals. It had made holes in her brain and they would bleed. Oh, They didn't, like, release her from prison or anything, even though she was an old person with a severe degenerative brain disease. Of course not. She, this one, so this was 20 years into her sentence. She stayed in prison for another 10 years, and she lost her sight, and her seizures came back, and her health just generally deteriorated. (gasps) So now she's, like, a blind psychic. That's (laughs) pretty cool, to be honest. Blind psychic serial killer. Right, 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 right. (laughs) But, like, she sees all, but she doesn't see. Well, people loved her, and she apparently was hilarious. Mm -hmm. She told jokes. Yeah. She got in everybody's business. Nobody got one by on her. She was really a lot of fun in prison. And I have to say, if I went to prison Mm -hmm. in Italy in the 40s, it would probably be a concentration camp because I'm an anti-fascist, but I would have loved being in prison with her. She sounds like a lot of, and she cooked for them and everything. She was a really good cook yeah. and a good baker. And I'm sure she wasn't putting people in it. it she, <laughs> occasionally she would offer treats to the guards, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't take them. Uh-huh. The guards would take them. The inmates would, but oh, the guards yeah, wouldn't take them. They're like not trying to get cursed. Not trying to get poisoned or cursed or whatever. So when her 30 years in prison were done, she was transferred to a mental asylum and she needed a lot of medical support. During that time, she was finally assessed psychiatrically. Mm-hmm. But there were all of these widely varying diagnoses and no no doctor ever came to a consensus or could really pin any specific thing on like why she decided to commit murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, and also at the time, probably. like I actually think anxiety is enough of a... Yeah. Severe anxiety disorders can make you think a lot of things. True. And like magical and thinking is literally a thing in anxiety. Mm. So they were, they did, the consensus that they came to was that it had to do with her, everything had to do with her abusive mother. Yeah. That's what it always comes down to, huh? The mom or the dad. <laughs> right. The mom or the dad. A, real, a year before they released her from the mental institution, the a pressure from the blood in her skull put her in a coma and killed her. Mm-hmm. And her official cause of death was cerebral apoplexy. She mm-hmm. was 76, and it was said that she was making jokes with the orderlies and other inmates right up until the time that she went into the coma, that she just mm-hmm. never stopped being this, like, witty grandma character. Mm-hmm. Serial killer grandma. Serial killer grandma. <laughs> I know. Well, if I had to have a serial killer in the family, I think she's the one I'd want. <laughs> Her family couldn't be contacted to claim her remains, and authorities were afraid that her grave would be desiccated desecrated <laughs> if it was uh let me pooped on no oh <laughs> <laughs> you made me cough uh that's defecated oh <laughs> desiccated is is a uh, chopped up really small and like mashed oh like what harry potter would do to things when he was in potions class desecrated so they <laughs> didn't want her grave to be desecrated so she was secretly cremated and they disposed of her ashes in some undisclosed way. Hmm. Her possessions were donated to the Criminology Museum in Rome. 
Oh, is it still all there? Yeah, including her pots and pans and axes. When she was on trial, they had asked about her copper skimming spoon Mm -hmm. that she had for skimming the fat when she was making soap, but she said she had donated it to the war effort. Wow. (laughs) After she killed people with it, she donated it to the war effort. Oh, my gosh. I remember, wasn't that like a thing where they would like collect metal from everybody? Mm Because it... For, metal for and, and nylon from stockings in the U.S. I don't know about it. I remember learning about that in history. Raffaele uh, peaced out when she was arrested. Her whole family just sort of disbanded and scattered into the wind. Raffaele mm-hmm. peaced out. He went to rural southern Italy, like the south-south yeah. of Italy in a really rural, remote location. Nobody ever really heard from him again. Mm. But he, there was a record of his death a few some years before she died. Oh. All of her children seem to have used the war as a way to change their names and escape from the records. Mm. So when you change your name in Italy, there's a record of the name change. But a lot of records were lost, right. or you know, you it was the time when you could go someplace and say, "I'm this person," and they're like, "We have no record of you," and you're like, "Well, I'm real." Right. You and must have lost believe, it, and yeah. it, people could kind of start over again. Also, it was probably a time a lot of fascists were trying to disappear into the back into the folds of society after the war. So there probably were a lot of sympathetic government fascists just letting people do that. Yeah. Closet fascists. So there was no way to really track. It's There's some evidence that two of her kids moved and married and had kids and changed their identities, but that's pretty much guesswork based Mm -hmm. on documents. Giuseppe, there's a record he was deployed to to Africa in the war, you know, that the Italian fascists were. Oh, was it um, Ethiopia? Mm-hmm. It was the Italian Ethiopian War? Mm-hmm. God damn, what a bastard. Yeah, what a little piece of shit. He definitely didn't deserve that soap or those yeah, tea cakes. Absolutely not. The, the records of him end there, but there's mm-hmm. no record of his death. Oh. So he either died there or also changed his identity and was able to, like, get right. pulled back in. It is unusual that there was no record of his death. Yeah. Uh, so that's... Especially with such a famous mother. Yeah, she was probably would. pretty famous around Italy at that point. Mm-hmm. But he could have... I mean, he could have fucked off to the U.S. Uh-oh. <laughs> and changed his name. He could be your great-grandpa. <gasps> Giuseppe, I do have a grand... Oh, you do have man. a grandpa, Giuseppe, but he was born in San Francisco. <laughs> that would be crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and his, his family... We can actually trace everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not my grandfather, but I still know how to trace them all. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's Leonardo Cianciulli. I wanted to just really briefly mention a little bit about Italian. Oh, I had to give my source. Um, the My primary source besides what was on the internet, which you can find easily doing the same search that I did. My primary source was Ryan Green's book, The Curse, a shocking true story of superstition, human sacrifice, and cannibalism. It's a... Really short read, and it's fun. It's mostly fun because of the story. I don't really mm-hmm. like reading men write about rape and stuff, but yeah. from a narrative standpoint, right? Which he that book is in a narrative form. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's like it's like reading a novel. Oh, cool. I'm gonna borrow it from you. Here you go. Oh. Give it back though. I promise to loan it to Christina. <laughs> okay. And then we're going to on our Patreon, our top tier patrons. We're gonna. Uh, write a little uh, note in the front of the book and send it out as surprise gifts to our top tier patrons. So that'll be the first one on the sack to go up. All right. I wanted to share a little bit about Italian folk magic. Now, I'm looking at a book called Italian Folk Magic by Mary Grace Faroon, or Farin. 
I'm not sure how she pronounces that. This book is a super beginner book. Mm -hmm. Most of what's in here is what's in the most basic sort of new agey kind of witch books, except for it has an Italian slant. And I mm. got it. Actually, I got it because there's recipes for food in here. Mm. <laughs> and I also love collecting superstitions, not because I keep them all, but I really yeah. love them. I, I just flipped open a page and it says, morning sickness only in the first trimester is a boy. Morning sickness that persists the entire pregnancy is a girl. I Although, think I've actually heard that before. There's actually a scientific basis for that. Oh, it's really? estrogen is what makes you sick. Oh, interesting. So there's that superstition has a scientific basis. Wow. I wanted everybody always wants to hear about the malocchio, and so I talked about spitting mm-hmm. to clear. Yeah, up Italians quick. love spitting. Italians love <laughs> spitting. Speaking in the more. We're talking about Angel now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, but if anybody watches, they'll get it. And so let me just flip through. Sorry, I only I dog-eared the pages. I didn't actually write notes. <laughs> so a talisman for protection, a traditional talisman. And again, I'll say if you're a witch that is doing anything you should not just follow a spell book mm. you should look you look at it understand why the parts are in it that are in it and then make it up yourself yeah it's like a cookbook right when you're cooking you read the recipe and get an idea of where the flavors came from mm. and then put it away and make the dish otherwise you're not a cook you're right. just following a recipe mm-hmm so a standard talisman is a small piece of fabric in a deep shade of red, red sewing thread, and coarse salt, a small stone from a cemetery, a gold-colored safety pin, hmm. and it says you can add three wheat berries, optional. Basically, you make the fabric into a little pocket. Mm-hmm. You put inside of it the stone, the three grains, uh, the three grains of wheat berries, and some salt, some coarse salt, and then you. Then you tuck the end of it over like you would a pillowcase over a pillow and sew it shut. Mm. So it's basically just a charm bag. A charm bag. <laughs> it's basically just a charm bag. And um, But one of the ones that I liked, it reminds me of Limpia, a cleansing. Mm. There are cleansings that you can do with an egg oh. in like Mexican and other, other regions, but I know mm-hmm. it from Mexican culture. There's um, And then sometimes you crack the egg in water to do a divination oh. with the egg. But this one is how to diagnose malocchio using water and oil. You basically you take a white bowl, a shallow white bowl, and you fill it half full of water and you put five drops of oil. I'm assuming it's got to be olive oil. oil. (laughs) Of course. And you set the bowl on top of the head of the person that you're diagnosing and watch the (laughs) oil. And if the oil drops migrate toward each other and merge, the malocchio is present. If they burst and spread out over the surface of the water as if they're disappearing, it's present. Mm. But if the oil drops don't change at all, it is not present. It's the malocchio that changes the oil. That's interesting. We should try it sometime. (laughs) So those are a couple of things that I found in here. And then one thing that's pretty specific as far as I know to Italy that I really liked is, so there's cartomancy, which is reading cards, and tarot Mm. cards originated in Italy. Oh, really? And in Italy, it's also the Neapolitan playing card, like, the, what we use to play gin mm. rummy have historically been used to tell fortunes also. There's information on the traditions of that in Italy in this book. There's tassiomancy, reading tea leaves. Mm. There's all there's all these different mancies. Necromancy actually originally meant consulting oh. the dead to find out the future, working with the dead to find out the future, because if it says mancy oh. at the end, it's about divination. Oh, so there's all kinds. There's like There's literally reading umbilical, reading belly buttons and then mm. reading umbilical stumps. 
There's even uh, reading buttholes <laughs> divination. That's a real thing. No. There's, if you can imagine it, people have figured out a way to make a divination. In Italy, there's one called favomancy, which is when you're shelling beans, like kidney beans and fava beans, then you scatter them to read how they... It's like a bone reading. Mm-hmm. You scatter them out to see, to do your divination reading favomancies. Hmm. Italian... So anyway, this book is cool if you're looking for a take on basically the earliest, earliest components of traditional witchcraft from an Italian point of view. It's fun. Yeah. I, I just wanted like the, the cultural perspective and, yeah, the, right. the, and then the recipes <laughs> for food. Not blood cakes. Not blood cakes. Now, now that I know that you can cook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like chicken blood cakes or something. Chicken blood cakes. <laughs> it's hard to find chicken. It's hard to get blood from a butcher. It's, we have, we have chickens. Oh yeah, word. You know how much blood <laughs> is in a chicken? I know, because I've slaughtered some of them. Mm. Not for magic, although I'm fine with that. I just, <laughs> they were roosters. Oh. Yeah, they only have like a tablespoon or two tablespoons of blood. What? There's so little blood in them. That's not. It's like, you get a bucket. Can't be real. And you, what I did was I, I calmed them down, I pet them, I loved them up, and then mm-hmm. I wrapped them in my apron, like the the midwifing and chicken yeah, to death video on I YouTube. Saw that. I I wrapped them in my apron, I got them really calm, and then I found their little pulse with mm-hmm. my finger in their neck and moved their feathers aside while they were still really calm, and then I took a super sharp knife yeah. and cut right on that vein, mm-hmm. or I guess it's an artery. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of splatters. Yeah. And they can't feel the cut because the knife is so sharp. And I know yeah. because one time while I did it, I cut myself and I didn't know. Because there's blood and mm-hmm. I didn't feel it at first until I felt the two pieces of skin the, from the opening yeah. like touching each other. And oh, I was like, gee. ooh, I hate the way that feels. And of course, as soon as I realized it was there, it hurt. But yeah. So I cut the, but I'm glad I knew. Mm-hmm. that the knife was really sharp really sharp yeah and and then you you just kind of hold them there and you hold them still and it's not until they don't really do much until right before they die they they convulse a little bit it's like mm-hmm. the loss of blood triggers something in them that they're like oh shit something really bad is happening mm-hmm. and then i would just i would just make sure at that moment that i held them a little bit tighter but calmly mm-hmm. and then i just i literally just told them about chicken heaven the whole time <laughs> So you're going to go to chicken heaven and you're going to bump cloacas and crow all the time and there's endless layer pellets and you're going to be so happy. The I did three roosters that morning oh. over a bucket mm-hmm. and I, I there's barely any blood. Really? Yeah, there's barely any blood at all. So no chicken blood cakes. No. I mean, you, you have to kill a lot of chickens. That's, That's what amazed me about, we were talking about Azalea Banks digging up her cat earlier. Mm-hmm. That's what amazed me about that that picture of her closet where she was doing chicken sacrifices and it had like mm-hmm. blood everywhere and feathers and people were like she's just like massacring chickens in there oh and gosh. what surprised me was the amount of blood the feathers whatever they have uh-huh. they do have a lot of feathers they have a lot on them. of feathers yeah <laughs> but the amount of blood I was like it looks like she must have you can't even with a sharp knife hitting that artery you can't get a lot of blood splatter even because they're mm-hmm. not. I mean, she's probably cutting off their heads mm. and getting the splatter from the whack of a butcher knife or the axe or whatever yeah. she's using. Probably a butcher knife. Even so, I was surprised. It almost looks like she... I know I'm in no way accusing Azalea Banks of anything. <laughs> Azalea Banks, you're... I have nothing bad to say about you. I don't know enough about <laughs> you to say a lot of good stuff, but you seem all right. You Solid. seem 
<laughs> you seem like you do know a thing or two about witchcraft, and I will never say anything bad against you for that reason. <laughs> but yeah, it almost looked like she had made it look more just mm. to fuck with people, which, <laughs> you know, whatever. As To my knowledge, I thought that she was practicing hoodoo, mm-hmm. but I heard recently that she practices Palo Mayombe. Where's that from? It's like a Caribbean, Central American, mostly mm-hmm. Caribbean, like Afro-Latino religion that originates in Africa. Like mm. it's, ve- it's very African. Yeah. But it's also very Latin. And Palo Mayombe uses a cauldron. And then there are 28 sacred sticks that you put in it, and then you build it over time, and it becomes its own spirit. So basically, it's an it's an egregore or a familiar in itself, but it has like a physical, its physical home is the cauldron. Interesting. Yeah, I think technically to be an egregore, more than one person needs to build it, which you can do in Paulo Mayombe. Adolfo Constanzo most famously did that. Mm. He He's a serial killer mm. who, that's another witchcraft serial killer where there was something to the magic that he did interesting but he also went someplace it's that one that case is really i don't know if you want to hear it that case is really (laughs) brutal but yeah as far as her magic goes i think her thinking is sound magically but her thinking did not extend to morally morals yeah. yeah it's not morally sound how could you do something similar where you create Something that would really work. I feel like a deity is where you go with this. Petitioning a deity. Some type mm. of contract work. Yeah. But a, a lot of deities want a life for a life. It's yeah. just different. You can't just like hack somebody up and serve them. Well, <laughs> you know what? That's not true. But you shouldn't. So let's not talk about that. Yeah. I don't know. How would you make a spell to protect somebody's life in a... Not a fascist, obviously. You right, do exactly. I was like, if my son was trying to work for Mussolini, I wouldn't... Kill him yourself. Exactly. I know. Before he even got there, that murder would be justified. <laughs> Killing fascists is generally justified. Um, I mean, you could do some kind of, like... You could do, like, a similar idea for, like, the cleansing stuff and, like, protection. But just, like, without the whole murder and blood and things. Mm-hmm. She believed so strongly in fate... Yeah. And it feels like she was right in the right place in the world to go here, but she didn't. The Greco-Roman fates, mm-hmm. people's like court of life. Mm-hmm. It feels like that to me, but her branch of traditional, she looked elsewhere outside of traditional Italian folk yeah. magic. So maybe she would have gone there, but you know, her resources and education were limited. So who knows how, which directions mm-hmm. she went. Or if she just went darker into traditional folk magic yeah. in Italy. It does seem like the perfect place to start looking at the, the Greco-Roman pantheon. And, mm. and she's so focused on fate. What's her fate? Yeah. What's the fate of this curse? What's the fate of her How son? How can you change like, the fate? How can you change the fate? Yeah. That it seems like going to the fates could be a really good one. And then yeah. and then I think of like Achilles like being dipped <laughs> with nothing but his heel exposed mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't go anywhere great with that i just thought of her son being like yeah. achilles like she did all of this to protect him but did she leave was there a loophole is there a is there a way that fate could still get in there i'm not sure how i feel about fate i feel like most things happen just because of conscious decisions of people the consequences of actions yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. i do too but every time i have uh, really unexplained random deja yeah. vu mm-hmm. or like 
literally will have a dream about something very, very mundane. Mm -hmm. And then six months or a year later, it'll be happening and I'll go, oh, last summer I dreamed about this. And it was exactly the same. And I've always reasoned it away by saying, because I can never, I'm like, why would you lead me to this extremely mundane moment with nothing Mm -hmm. big happening on either side of it? (laughs) I always think, I think this was my way of telling me about where I'd be right. so that when I got here, I'd know that you were on the right path, that I was on the path I was trying to be on. That's how I felt with deja vu before too. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like cha- fate can be changed by your actions constantly. Like maybe that's like, there's something already set out for you, but I don't think that it's like set in stone at all. I don't think it's something that like, yeah, has to be like very forcibly changed. I think it's just, People have free will and what happens. We have a lot of choices. And then, of course, we're restricted by the choices of our societal structure, which are incredibly limiting. But that does harken to, like, in classical palmistry, you have your dominant hand and your non-dominant hand and your non-dominant hand. Yeah, your fate hand versus, like, what you make of your life. Right. What you you were destined to do up against the choices that you've made with your dominant hand and that the use of that hand is what etches the lines that say what you are yeah what you really are mm-hmm. and sometimes you see people whose palms are and i do think that palmistry again is a medium for getting to actual just psychic connection mm-hmm. not reading it literally is right. only so useful excellent party trick <laughs> um way to make friends yeah really good for impressing dates definitely But you see sometimes people where their hand, their dominant hand is so wildly different from their non-dominant hand. And you Mm. think, I always think when I see that, just based on like the classical palmistry interpretation, wow, this person really is a doer. Yeah. This person took control of their life. This person is a doer. They make a lot of choices. And it doesn't, it's not a rest, like a, or a surefire way of knowing that they follow through on things. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, good or bad choices are good or bad. Right. But I do, yeah, I look at those and I think like, well, here's somebody who does what the fuck they want. (laughs) Yeah. My wisdom line is like twice as long on my dominant hand. On your dominant hand? Yeah. Oh, thank God. And my lifeline, much longer. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, (laughs) like, as I said, the, it's a limited way of telling what's going on. It's really using it as a way to connect to your intuition. Yeah. Once you start, and I would recommend to anybody who's looking into palm reading, mm. learn the basics. Yeah. But don't get into these tiny nuances of what mm. the lines are and how, which direction they go and how many little tiny folds are in the spot because yeah. you can really memorize that with, a, with an accuracy. Right. Learn the basics and then start reading the palms of your friends literally. Yeah. Try not to infuse what you know right. into it. Practice that and then start doing it for people you don't really know mm-hmm. and just read them literally. And then and then go back and start taking people's hand and and holding it and looking at it and thinking about what the lines are and then start talking like your free association writing. You know, when you mm-hmm. just start writing anything, start talking like that mm-hmm. so that you're letting your subconscious mind come forward. Mm-hmm. and you'll find that you're saying wild ass shit that's not in their hands <laughs> and they're looking at you with their jaw slack like yeah. how could you possibly know that 
and I told you about the best palm reading I ever got mm-hmm. was that psychic in San Francisco. Right. And it blew your mind. She blew, she blew my mind. I was really <laughs> skeptical about what I was getting into. It was supposed yeah. to be a fun, like, girls' night with my friend Sasha. Mm-hmm. And it was like 25 bucks, get your palm read. And she was right next to our old building. So we went in, and I had really been through it recently and I had I had been pregnant I hadn't wanted to be I had taken a lot of herbs that tend to work for herbal abortions but I had done it really half-heartedly because I had scheduled a surgical abortion Mm -hmm. and so I wasn't I was kind of actually in a way trying to force my hand to follow through with a surgical abortion and not spend a lot of time hemming and hawing once I had taken a bunch of herbs then that meant that I had decided and I couldn't go back on it so you know, at least in my mind, that was what I was doing. And because I really wanted a baby right mm-hmm. up until shortly before that. Right. But then I was not in the spot. So I ended up, before the surgical abortion, I ended up waking up and, and bleeding a lot. And I had mm-hmm. I passed the tissue of the baby and everything. And Fetus. An embryo. Was, not they baby. were all babies to me, even that one. And, and yeah, sure, it wasn't, it was a, uh, barely a fetus, I think. Yeah. It was really, like, just right outside the embryonic stage. And I didn't really know how to think of it. Was it a miscarriage? What, did it happen because I had a hard time maintaining a pregnancy? I'd had a lot of miscarriages yeah. before. Or did, was that an abortion because I took the herbs? Mm. I didn't, it didn't really matter. Mm. I reported on medical, medical records as a miscarriage because yeah. I don't feel like explaining any of that to a doctor. Yeah, but definitely. Emotionally, I wasn't sure what it was. Mm-hmm. And I walked into the psychic a couple of weeks later, and she takes my hand and she goes, oh, first, like the first thing mm-hmm. she said was, oh, it looks like you recently had a an abor- a, mis- a miscarriage or is it an abortion? Or, wow, I'm really not sure. Usually I can mm-hmm. tell things like this. And I was like, you and me both, I'm not sure. <laughs> but also I thought, I studied classical palmistry, yeah. and that is not in That's there. Not in your <laughs> That's not That's in the line. <laughs> so I knew that I was talking to somebody who had some psychic power, which yeah. was nice because then she predicted that I would have your brothers, and then mm-hmm. I did <laughs> many years later. Yeah. She also predicted I'd get back together with your dad, which <laughs> I did. Not because of her either, because when she said it, I was like, no. That was when you guys were split up. We were split up, yeah. And I was thinking, okay. Mm-hmm. You were right about a lot of stuff, but you're not right about that. <laughs> so anyway. She knew. She knew. I love fortune telling as a medium yeah. for connecting with people. It's really cool. I wish that Leonardo Cianciulli had found another way and been the town witch, how she was, yeah. and everybody's person to go to for advice. And she could have had all that connection that she'd been wanting her whole life. And then she could have died a happy old... Real like with a grimoire and the and the, the and that be the only record. Of course, I'd never get to read the grimoire. Yeah, and I might get to read her grimoire so now, sad. but that's. I still wish she hadn't killed anybody. But then you wouldn't have known about her. I know. I feel like I really understand her anxiety and where she was going, and where she got off track. Yeah, it was it wasn't when she killed people. She was off track a long time before that. Mm-hmm. She was a witch for long enough to know. That every time she had some misfortune and thought, it's the curse, it's the curse, that she was feeding a curse. The curse, as far as I'm concerned, she really cast it on herself. Because any any witch who spends any amount of time practicing, 
should at least know how to break a curse. And saying, I curse you to have a bad marriage, that's not a really strong curse. I mean, who knows right. what her mom did outside of that? I don't know. Yeah. But her mom wasn't a witch. So she would have known because they lived in a like a one bedroom or right. a one room apartment. God, that's God awful. knows what she saw with her father and her mother yeah. and her stepfather and her mother. She so she would have known if her mother was actually practicing a lot of witchcraft beyond because in traditional like traditionally in pretty much every culture magic is woven into the daily fabric what right. most people who think of themselves as being super witchy and like really into witchcraft do is actually not it's not especially proficient. It's at the level mm. of like what m- your average person worked into their life for mm. thousands and thousands of years. And then it's only the higher levels that were considered to be sort of separate fixers or mm. cunning men and women or cunning folk. or And then, of course, there's shamanic practices right. around the world. And even in traditional witchcraft, there's a lot of sh- shamanic practice. You know, so who knows? But But she fed the curse. Mm-hmm. She may have even made the curse. And then she came, she made it a self fulfilling prophecy in so yeah. many ways. And, you know, even though her son may not have died, and I like to think that he didn't, I don't know if it's my psychic power or my mm-hmm. wishful thinking that makes me think, like, oh, he got, he, he escaped and maybe he, like, stopped being a fascist and ran away from the fascist army because he realized they were bad. Okay, that part's definitely wishful thinking. But, <laughs> but yeah. she lost him. He was dead to her. And even though she gave herself solace, because she was sure he was still alive, alive. It's still pretty tragic. She died in the 70s. Wow, not yeah. even that long ago. Yeah, she lived for a really long time. She was born in 1893, I think. I'm not looking at my notes anymore. And mm. then I think she died at age 76. So six, was it the 60s? Or just barely the 70s, early 70s? I'm not going to do math on the podcast. <laughs> That's not what I do. So... Yeah, and I I thought about doing this podcast with you, and then a ghost came and visited me last night Mm -hmm. about the kids. Yeah. And I thought I was an ancestor, but my ancestor altar is not supposed to be an open portal without certain ritual and, like, candles being lit. It was weird, too, the rose. And I don't think my ancestors would have wanted to break uh, an offering to them. Right, and the rose on the altar was broken this morning, and there was no possible way that anybody in the house did it, mm. or that it happened by something knocking into it. Just I the physics of it that was impossible. So asleep, I was schlumped. Yeah, and then <laughs> nobody would because it's this, the, right, the ancestor yeah. altar is such a sacred space. In fact, everybody is like careful of even my feeling. Like you ask me before you put things up yeah. there because you know how. <laughs> Weird I can be about it. <laughs> but it did occur to me. So last night, I knew that the spirit that was coming into the house was talking to me about the kids. And I knew that it was a, like, a feminine energy. But I, I couldn't place it. And I kept thinking, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's one of my ancestors that's getting on me about the kids in some way. And then I, I wondered with the broken rose and, and the amount of we, like, weird. It's very unusual for me to be around spirits that manifest in a physical way and Mm. there were several physical manifestations that happened last night it's just very unusual partly because i don't invite that into the house partly because i banish it from the house partly because it's just not my vibe because i like to know what i know and i like to know where my shit is and i like to know how my things are gonna be yeah so i tend not and so so you don't think that and i don't create a lot of i don't create a lot of 
places for some for someone to come in for a spirit to come in and like pull energy to manifest really well because i don't really generally i'm not trying to invite that i don't right. want it i don't oh i don't also spend a lot of energy trying to prevent manifestation right mostly because of the ancestor altar and yeah. my other altars but yeah it did occur to me because she was so fixated mm. on her children and what my call was in the middle of the night last night when was to go check on was them, to go check on the children on in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. a spirit, a, a spirit woke me up last night. I felt it touching me and above above my body, and then whispering in my ear my name. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up knowing I was supposed to be checking on the children. That that's what it was. That I needed to get up, and that was what I was being told to do. Mm-hmm. And when I walked through the house just to check. I felt it all through the living space. And I had also felt it outside of the bedroom door, trying mm. to get my attention before I went to sleep. That You're was why you, I, were, you heard it too. You heard the footsteps and stuff. I heard footsteps, but my floorboards creak. Our floorboards yeah. creak and when there's weight on them, but there was no weight, uh-huh. but there were still footsteps. Huh. And um, But I heard it stop outside the door, and it wasn't any, it wasn't any of you guys. No. And I heard it st- stop outside the door, and I felt an energy there that wanted my attention but didn't want to come in. Mm-hmm. Like it was respecting my privacy. Hmm. And I said, actually, I said out loud, oh, a spirit's trying to get my attention. I better go <laughs> to sleep so that I can pay attention better mm-hmm. and listen more. And I went to sleep, and then that was how I woke up Yeah, probably right. an hour later. Yeah, and then I went to go check on the kids. And they were fine. He was awake. But, but like barely. He was barely awake. They were totally fine, although the dog had gotten a little right. excited about her spot on the bed mm, quote unquote quote unquote spot on the bed she's <laughs> supposed to sleep at the foot of the kid's bed and she was up on on their pillows she's like <laughs> don't mind me i'm just a pitbull pillow i'm very <laughs> soft and cuddly and comfortable they probably like that waking up with their yeah. little heads smelling like dog and Aww. cuddling with her all night but yeah the other the other thing that happened was that my that i didn't say was that my phone was connected to my bluetooth headphones which were in the living room and they were on but they were supposed to turn themselves off after a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. it was well past that amount of time that Mm -hmm. they were inactive and should turn themselves off and they turned themselves on and the volume started going up and down but i was in my room and the only reason that i knew is because i wasn't touching the volume buttons but Mm -hmm. it was the volume was going up and down on my phone phone. (laughs) and i was thinking that the kids had a speaker that was connected and had woken Mm. up but the speaker was out of their reach. They were totally asleep and it was connected to my Bluetooth headphones, which are a lot easier to mess with if you're trying to do a small mm-hmm. energy manifestation. So, And that was when I thought, okay, I heard those footsteps and now my Bluetooth is going. And then I felt that presence standing in front of the door. Somebody's trying to get my attention. Mm-hmm. All of this to say, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was my favorite witch serial Absolutely killer. Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not scared of her. Like I would yeah. not want to invite a lot of serial killer spiritual energy into my space. Like I can't think of a a single serial killer whose spiritual energy <laughs> would ever invite into a space. But yeah, I hope not. I well, I don't even know if I would necessarily invite her. But I don't know that. I also feel that she's unwelcome. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's at a high risk of reoffending. I don't think so either. And she I don't. Her son. I don't think that she is necessarily going to convince me to do something similar. Uh, yeah. Watch we out. We should hope not. Just kidding. 
I'm not eating any more of your cakes. <laughs> oh, I never make cake. I never I make know. anything lately. Quarantine's got me down. Hey, you've made soap before. I love making. I really uh, want to be a soap maker. No. This was another thing that I loved about this story is that I've always wanted to make soap with lye from scratch, but not yeah. from. I wasn't planning on <laughs> rendering fat from animals, although I would. I'm not opposed to it. It's actually it's just so many steps. Yeah. And so much mess to clean up. I'm really impressed by her cleanup skills. <laughs> Anything you want to say before we close out? <sighs> Don't eat cakes from psychics. <laughs> Don't eat cakes from psychics. You never know. If it tastes like iron, throw the whole thing away. Throw the whole thing away. Well, you can't paint all fortune tellers with the same brush. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> all right. Always carry a broomstick. All cats are beautiful. Mm-hmm. All children are beautiful. All black cats are beautiful. That does not work. All right, peace. Later. Hexes and curses, you're going my brain. Whispers through the town,